Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Manchester Football Social Forever Blue. Uh, Thanks for downloading the show. Make sure you've subscribed to the show so that you never miss another episode. You can do that wherever and however you listen to podcasts. Please make sure that you follow us too on Twitter at MCR Footy Social. This is the Manchester Football Social Forever Blue with Ian Cheeseman. Thanks very much for your company tonight. This is an hour of all Manchester City chat from now until seven o'clock. Uh, thank you very much for listening. It is available and will be available as a podcast. So uh, obviously, if you're listening at the moment, that might not be much use to you. But you might know somebody who thinks, oh, wouldn't mind listening to this as a podcast. Tell them it is available via the XS Manchester app. You can download that for free. And I will also tweet out the links a little bit later on. Tonight, we're in international break time, of course, with the Blues. So there's not been a game at the weekend. The next one is against West Ham this coming weekend. And then after that, they come thick and fast to a week all the way through into January. So tonight, we're going to do something slightly different. Uh, We've got Dennis Stewart, former City winger and also, of course, a director in the past who's with us. Uh, The king of all Geordies. He's just walking in now take his seat next to me so I'll say first of all while you get into position Dennis welcome thanks for coming in Hi Ian good evening yeah. we've also got a couple of fans here um, one is called Colin one's called Roger let them just uh, give them a little Colin tell us your background tell us what, what your expertise is if you want to say it like that well I'm uh, my name's Colin Savage um, you may know me from social media's Pressridge Blue and I've been um, talking about writing about City's finances now for about 12, 13 years, I reckon. I reckon it's a lot longer than that, Colin. I mean, I can remember back in the old Peter Swales out days that you were writing stuff about City's finances. Yeah, no, and I wasn't wasn't going back that far. It was... Um, <laughs> Nearly. <laughs> um, Stop trying to age me in. <laughs> and obviously we've got... And, and the other thing that's worth mentioning is that, you know, the new panel that's come up now that City have. Yeah, You're yeah. on that as well, I'm also you? on this uh, New City Matters Committee, which is a fan consultative committee. And we meet with um, city executives uh, currently every six weeks, is planned. So that's relatively new and we'll be talking through a lot of initiatives, a lot of exciting things coming up, maybe not so exciting things, but uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting time. And we also have Roger. Roger, uh, I've invited you down today for a specific reason, though you are from Alcrington branch, aren't you, the supporters club? I am indeed, yes. And your skill and expertise is that you have German language skills. Indeed, yeah. And you've you've read the Spiegel, and uh, we're going to get on to FFP and everything, and you, you were telling me that it's perhaps not been translated absolutely right. Yeah, essentially, if you read uh, the Spiegel, if it's Stern, or if it's any other, um, an example, uh, newspapers in Switzerland, you read totally different things that you read, an example, in the Times, so... 
Just wanted to talk around that today. So there we are, that's our, our panel. Now, what I want to do is, obviously, we split into three 20-minute sections because we've got uh, travel and and, uh, and the break coming up at 20 past and 22. So in this first section, I want to talk to uh, the, the three of you about the football. Why not? Because it is excellent. And when I tweeted out earlier today that we were going to talk about FFP, it could have been... Um, 40 passes, couldn't it? You know, it could have been those fabulous 40 passes, which has been pretty good. And Dennis, this has to be the best football that we've ever witnessed, certainly at City, if not in, in the Premier League, isn't it? Yeah, the one question, the one thing which gets me really excited, it's all about end product as well. <clears throat> it's not about retaining possession for the sake of it. It's about ending up with the ball in the back of the net and we've got so many attacking-minded players and they're passing the ball around, moving. You can see the the opposition get fed up, and I love the comment by by Graham Sooners after the game about forty four passes, and he says they just pass it to death, um, and the, the defenders get fed up with chasing the ball around and just stop chasing, and therefore it opens more opportunities for the lads to score the goals, which uh, gets me quite excited. As a former player yourself, is this is this dream football, or would you, if in a different Era or in different world, pick something out that that you say is better than this. No, I think he's evolved. I think when Pep first came in, he was we were, we were passing around, but he didn't have all the personnel educated the way he wanted to do. Because I've read both of of Pep's book, Pep Revolution and Pep Evolution, so I understand his philosophy um, and the way he has the, the the players playing. I think it's just starting to come to real fruition. Possibly last season, the first season was a bit hard work for some of the players to understand his philosophy. Last season, they picked it up and took it on to the 100 points which was fantastic um, and this year you know you can still the evolution's continuing this season as well and as two fans you two I mean just tell me your thoughts on <clears> what you're watching at the moment You've, you, you're different age groups so you've perhaps got different perspectives but Colin just tell me your thoughts on the football well, at the moment I mean, I've seen the other two great city eras of the past you know the, the late 60s and Dennis's era of the mid 70s and up to uh, last season I would have said that you know Dennis's era of the mid 70s is the best football, the best City team I've seen. Even better than the 60s one. They were so much more ruthless and, and exciting in many ways, but um, just pale into comparison um, compared to this era. It's it's like something, you know, you watch some of those goals and you think, should be hung on a wall at the Louvre. They're so good. <laughs> I mean, I, I've heard some people say, perhaps not City fans always, but even some City fans, it's boring. I mean, is there any legitimacy in that, Roger? How can that be boring? I mean, you just see the pub, you know football being passed around. You see, you know, players moving all the time. You see them exchanging positions, passes. You know, the whole time, ninety minutes. You know, it's non-stop. You know, they do it ninety minutes. There is no five-minute break or ten-minute break that used to be on the Pellegrini. Used to be, I think, the biggest kind of thing where they kind of switched off for five or ten minutes, but. I mean, the first season of Guardiola, uh, you know, as you rightly said, I think uh, you know they had to get used to that, you know, morality of I'm going to give 110 percent every single day, every single training, and then if you obviously go to the games in the second season, I mean, you know, luckily I have a season ticket, and it's just, I mean, if you find that boring, you you, you definitely should maybe start watching volleyball. When you go to a, to a game, um, and it, this would have particularly applied when you were watching some of the. The eras that we've watched, Colin, uh, when City weren't quite as good, would you would you look at the opposition and be able to enjoy that, or were you always only watching it from a City's perspective? Because it staggers me sometimes when I when I see fans, particularly at a away game, a City away game, where the home fans might be leaving 
five or ten minutes from the end if City are winning by two or three goals. I'm thinking, am I unusual here? Because in the days when City weren't playing as well as they are now, I would never have thought of going early. If the other team were playing good football, I'd enjoy that as well. I'm tribal, I'm a City fan, so I obviously wanted City to win, but I could appreciate what happened with the other team. And yet, there are times when I see people, as I say, leaving, particularly their home games against City, and they don't, they don't seem to appreciate what they're watching. And they might say that what City are doing is boring from their perspective. Well, funny enough, we were having this conversation at the uh, United game. And in the past, the, 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 the teams you like to watch, Arsenal and Liverpool, were two teams that really stood out as great football teams. And we, I love to watch those teams, even though they regularly hammer Arsenal put four passes in 20 minutes or something, didn't they? And Liverpool regularly handed four and five goal thrashings out, even at Main Road, let alone Anfield. But I love watching those teams because they were, it was great. They were great players. They were great football teams. And even though it hurt to lose four or five nil or five one, um, you, you could appreciate what you were watching. You, know, you realised you were watching something which was far better than any other team. I can remember Nottingham Forest playing against City and, and the same thought process going through my mind. And that was a, a Brian Clough team that that made the best use of limited abilities at that time. I know there were exceptions like Trevor Francis, but on the whole, they were almost like, um, you know, workaday players that had been made into a gelled group of players who played really lovely football and I remember losing to Forrest and thinking still really enjoyed the game and I looked around and talked to other people and they they thought it was a bit mad saying that yeah I mean I remember yeah it, you know you could what you could enjoy the games I remember games against two teams that particularly stood out from that era Everton and Birmingham who were very much part of the bus type teams and you knew when Everton and Birmingham came to town it was going to be a, a one-all a nil-nil or, or something like that and um a, a f funny story from those days, but I better not tell it on the radio. Um, so, so the, even in those days, there were teams that came, and, and you got no enjoyment out. It was a you know a real struggle to get through ninety minutes. But there were still plenty of teams who played good, attractive football, and and I, um, you, you just love watching it. As a as a player, Dennis, when you're playing in a good game, when you were playing in a good game in your era, were you so focused that none of that mattered, or could you appreciate when you were playing in a good game? But the team we had in the the seventies, as Colin said, we we opened attractive playing football anyway. So you know that's the kind of style that we had. So we couldn't play any other way, uh, and and we thoroughly enjoyed it because of the quality of the players that we had. And no question, players get more enjoyment and satisfaction than playing in, a, in a, an exciting, uh, open ta attacking way because that's that's what you you, you want to play the game for. Does the fact that Guardiola plays this type of football and he's well known for it, does that make City more attractive for players to come? I know the cynics will say it's all about the best contract and the money, etc. But isn't there also an element of, I want to play that type of football. I want to I want to smile and, and attack and, and do that rather than being destructive or negative. Is that an alternate re reference to Manchester United? Uh, <laughs> if you want to draw that uh, parallel, you can do so. When players got a smile on their face and playing well, they enjoy it more and they, they want to play, constantly playing Without question, you know, and uh, it's nice to play with a smile on your face and you have a smile on your face if you're winning playing open, attractive football. Oh, well, that was a Joe Mercer thing, of course, wasn't it? He wanted his players to be played with a smile on the face. Well, in the Kevin Keegan era, you know, uh, City weren't quite where they are now, but they played football with a smile on their face. And you were uh, obviously behind the scenes at that time. Did you sense that, that players 
thought, yeah, I want to play for Keegan, I want to play that type of football. Well, it'd be due respect, we, we wouldn't have got players the likes of Schmeichel and Elke, Ali Benabi, Eilberkovic, who play, 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 uh, open, attractive football, if it hadn't been for Kevin Keegan's reputation, as, I mean, his reputation at uh, his time with Newcastle was known as the entertainers. You know, so, and players came to Newcastle to play for Kevin Keegan because Kevin would play open, attractive, attacking football. So players want to play that kind of football. They want to play open, attractive football and win well. Do you think now this is the new way of winning? Because we went through an era where Chelsea were quite dominant um, and there have been different eras and phases in football where negativity has seemed to be the one that wins through. Play on the In fact, you could argue the Forest team under Cluffy played on the counter-attack. Um, certainly that Chelsea team that won the European Cup a few years ago played on the counter-attack. Has that gone forever, do you think? Or is this just a new phase now? Well, no, it's because, it's put because of the managers of, of the teams you've mentioned played to the assets of the players they had. You know, in different generations, we have the finance to buy buy in players, and I've always said this. You know, Alex Ferguson and, and Pep Guardiola bought players to fit the system. In, in Alex's period, Alex would always play four four two, four four one one, four four two, four four one. Never checked. That's the system he believed in at that time, and he built three three or four Man United team. But he bought players to fit the system. With um, Pep, he's doing exactly the same. He has a system he wants to play, even though it'd be a, a mobile, fle flexible system. But he still wanted players to be able to play in that system. He's buying players to play the system. I, I think, in my view, uh, Jose Mourinho just buys players, and I'm not sure what system suits the players he's bought. And and that's what what disappoints me about it because when he went to Chelsea, he had fantastic, open, attractive players uh, playing with, with fantastic players with a smile. But yet you've got. Man United, it's always a scowl and a, it's an infighting. You know, I don't know whether the players are really comfortable and happy with the way they're playing and the play in the position they're playing. And without question, that indicates to me that the system is not suiting the, the players' abilities. I can remember a long time ago, though, a more cynical type of football when it was successful was then copied by other by other clubs and teams. Because when you see a team do something and it works, then other teams think, well, we'll do it at the moment. The sense I'm getting is that everybody thinks, well, that's the way to win. That's what Manchester City are doing. That's the way Pep Guardiola's playing. So they're all copying it. But if City failed, if they didn't win with this system, and somebody with a more cynical approach did, would, would that mean that the whole of football turns around again and goes in a different direction? Well, evolution is the thing we have to get ready with. Since the Premier League's happened, you know, the Premier League's grown and the the... the the profile and the demands on the Premier League has grown for the last 20 years, you know, 20 odd years since the Premier League started. And um, that is a demand from within and because of the, the nature of the game and the uh, sort of uh, changing time, the quick evolution of the game, sometimes it's a gradual evolution, but sometimes over the last few years probably has been a bit of a revolution. And Pep's come in and driven that revolution through. Now we look and, you know, obviously Pep's a fantastic visionary. Uh, and I'm not sure whether we've got many more visionary coaches around because everybody seems to be following following Pepper or they're all becoming sheep. You know, nobody's come up with a, a different idea of developing a play uh, than Pep has at the moment. You see now, even League One, League Two, you got goalkeepers rolling the ball out of the fullbacks. You know, and you think, well, why are you rolling out the fullback? It's not, it hasn't got the quality of uh, positional play, knowledge, ability to play the ball out, you know, and you have to play the skill set of your players and and Pep's developing that, which is fantastic for us. Right, all three of you, and I'll chuck in me on at the end as well. I'm not asking you for who City's best player is, 
or most effective player. I'm just want to ask you your favourite City player at the moment and why. Well, for me, it's uh, Raheem Sterling. Raheem Sterling because he does exciting things in the, in the last third and he frightens defences to get to death with his dynamic pace. That dynamic pace. Sometimes I think he doesn't know when he runs, why he runs, but pace is. And when, when uh, defenders are sitting in their uh, set position, and you've got this fella flashing past them, behind them, in, but around them, and it distracts them. And obviously that creates spaces for other people. If if Raheem doesn't get the ball, uh, others can. And without question, for me, he's been the outstanding. He's been the difference in that last third. I thought uh, Leroy Sane could do the same thing. He's just stuttered a little bit, but I still think he can do the same thing. When you've got one on the left, one on the right, you've got great opportunities to split open defenders. Oh, what a question to have to answer. Um, I, I'm torn between uh, David Silva and Fernandinho. I mean, David Silva's always been a, a really good player, but I've, I've kind of criticised him a little bit in the past because he's, he's um, not enough end product considering the positions he gets into. And sometimes I, I've thought he's not shown enough leadership on the field. Well, he's answered both those criticisms for me this season he's getting goals and his leadership on the field is fantastic you can see him like a traffic policeman directing the traffic when the ball's moving he's telling him to play it back play it to the one side play it to the other side play it forward and and, and he's a bit like the, the new Steve McManaman if you like pointing all over the pitch <laughs> and, and then there's Fernandinho who does the dirty stuff you know he's not he's not like Kevin De Bruyne or Sergio I suggest it's functional rather than Dirty. I think I well, prefer, yeah, yeah, prefer yeah. the word functional. He does the un, un, <laughs> unglamorous stuff, shall we say. <laughs> very clever the, stuff. Yeah, the breaking up attacks, you know, getting his foot in, the little fouls that, that he does. And, and he does that so well, but he's also fantastic at in the derby. There were three or four passes which were absolutely Colin Bell, Asa Hartford standard passes. So, yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd struggle to pick between those two at the moment, but you, know, you could pick any. Edison, you know, Stones on the port, Bernardo. Sergio Which is your favourite kid, eh? What about you, Rog? Um, with my German bias, I would say Leroy Sane. Um, but looking at the game and how he's been playing, definitely Fernandinho. I mean, in the past, uh, I would even say 18 years, I haven't seen a more influential central defensive midfielder. You look at the times where. You had the Pirlos, Gattuso's, you had your, um, you know, Koeman's even, you know, going, you know, further back. And I think, you know, they always had their special something, but I think Fernandinho just brings it all together. I mean, it baffles me how at 33 he's still, you know, running so much and, and like going the most. I mean, it just baffles me how, how well he, you know, changed because under Pellegrini, I think, you know, I remember the first, you know, 10 or so games, everyone was saying, mm, you know, Fernandinho is a normal central midfielder. Why did we pay 35 million? And I think if you look back at it now, I think we all think our oh, 35 million, that's the right bargain we got there. So, yeah, Fernandinho for me. Yeah, I can't really argue with Fernandinho myself, so I'll just give a shout-out to Bernardo Silva, who uh, I think is playing exceptional football at the moment. Um, and as soon as we looked at him at, at Monaco, and I thought he'd been the man of the match in both games against City that season, I thought he, he is one player. And he's only 24, so he's got a lot lot to give in the future. Um, but there were, there's been things... I always think if a player makes you take a sharp intake of breath during the game, and I know that defensive players rarely do that, so therefore I'm never likely to pick defensive players as my favourite player, but I love players that make you go, wow, you know, Dennis did that, you know, there were there were players of different eras that did that, and, and at the moment, 
There are several players, I have to say, in the City side that make me do that from time to time. But the one consistently who's doing it for me at the moment is Bernardo Silva. Some of the stretches and the little nicks and the passes have just the been brilliant. One thing you just said was the, the things that each, each individual player can do. We've got individual players like Fernandinho, who's got three or four different skill sets. Yeah. You've got um, Kevin De Bruyne, three or four different skill sets. Raheem Stones. So you've got the flexibility amongst those individual players to do other things. You couldn't say, well, if you stop them doing that, you'll take them out of the game because the, the players are good enough to do something else, adjust their position, adjust their kind of style. Their style. And the, the what I mentioned that you were about exchanging positions, which Roger said earlier, and that was the biggest asset that we've had because Absolutely. when I played my team, again, you know, we had uh, Big Joe front, Joe Rowling, we had Barnes on one side, me on the other side. And occasionally Barnes and I would switch you know, so you have that that, un, that you create a sense of urgent uh, uh, uncertainty, uncertainty yeah, in yeah. the def opposition defence because they defenders like to see their markers. Their, that's their comfort zone, their comfort yeah. blanket. All of a sudden, if that that marker's disappearing over the other side, he's got somebody else. Uh, what happens to it? And all of a sudden, that moment, he's distracted, and that's where you get the space. I noticed that in the forty-four Pascal, um, Fellaini was marking Gundogan, and Gundogan was all over the place. Fellaini moved up up the field when Gundogan moved up, but he didn't track him back. So when, when Gundogan made that crucial run for that goal, Fellaini was nowhere near him. Although, yeah, because he was sent him to sleep by passing him to death. <laughs> oh, although Fellaini obviously says United aren't far behind City, but we'll move on from that. Anyway, uh, what I wanted to do is move on to uh, to FFP, uh, because it's a subject that, that everybody else wants to talk about, and perhaps we don't talk about it enough, and perhaps with particularly Colin here today and Dennis, we get a little bit more of an insight of what this is all about. And that's coming up right after this. This is the Manchester Football Social, Forever Blue, with Ian Cheeseman. Yes, it is. It's, uh, it's all Manchester City. It's XS Manchester 106.1 FM from now till 7 o'clock, available to as a podcast. With me in the studio is the King of Old Geordies, the one and only Mr. Dennis Stewart. Somebody actually asked me on social media today why I keep calling you the King of Old Geordies. But there was a song, was there not, yeah, guys? Yeah. Dennis Stewart, Dennis King, Stewart King, King of Old Geordies. That's where it comes from, right? That's why we call him King of Old Geordies. But he is anyway. We've also got Colin and Roger, are two fans here, who will perhaps become more obvious why they're here now in this next section because we're going to talk about FFP and the frustration of FFP. Now let's start with talking to Roger who has linguistic still skills in German because of his background and told me on social media during the last week that some of the things that were in D Spiegel, that's Spiegel, Der Spiegel, which is it? Der. Der Spiegel, um, which is this magazine in Germany which is supposedly the whistleblower telling tales. And by the way, um, the, you know the same the same magazine as as was the one that supposedly brought the story that was going to be a, a breakaway super league and everybody since then has said absolutely no truth in it so I'm not sure how much we should really believe of of Der Spiegel anyway um, uh, but nevertheless they're the ones who claim to have exposed or or discovered all sorts of misdemeanors that City have done and have tried to without putting it too bluntly, put the knife in and, and, and upset the apple cart from City's perspective. Now, you've read all that in your native tongue. Mm -hmm. Tell us what you told me, Roger. Uh, I mean, just you know, for everyone to know what, what Football Leagues actually is. So Football Leagues has been started by a guy called John from Portugal and back in 2015, and he's been working with um, a journalist from uh, Der Spiegel who's uh, a German, and... Um, 
after he kept giving him documents for Lalitri uh, in this documentary, you can see he keeps giving him like hard drives with like an example 500 gigabyte just just documents from clubs. Um, he says that they're not hacked, so uh, it's actually uh, it's actually genuinely sent. Um, and well, the journalist then he see kind of help from all over Europe. So there's about 31, I think, um, journalists working on this. And they obviously keep, you know, kind of revealing stuff on weekly. I mean, we only saw, um, saw the stuff uh, with N'Golo Kante last week that he was forced, you know, to have his bank account in Alderney, an example. So, um, I mean, stuff like that. But uh, going to the point with City, um, with the European Super League. So um, the Times and the Mirror and everyone else said that there is 16 clubs who want to open this European Super League. Now... What is actually in this documentary is that it all started with um, with the head of legal uh, of Bayern Munich. So he was in touch with the Big Seven, that's what they call each other. So in the Big Seven, as you can imagine, you have Manchester, you know, you have not. It's Manchester United, actually, who obviously are very successful in the past 10 years. Uh, you have Arsenal, again, very successful European-wise. Bayern Munich, okay, we let that go. Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus. And AC Milan, so that's your big seven, and these have been, you know, trying to form a kind of European Super League. So what it also says, if they would get out of the Champions League, it would triple, um, you know, the income that they would get from TV money, from sponsorship, etc. And these big seven, they have just picked two or three clubs that they would like to invite to it. So. Uh, as far going from the documents, you can't even see anything that City have been interested in this in the smallest way. Um, I mean, I just forgot PSG, by the way, in, um, in that big seven. And, uh, you know, PSG and all of these are meeting, you know, regularly in Nice, as you know, or in Lyon as well, um, in Switzerland to discuss things. And one of the things they discussed is how to give the money fairly to, let's say, smaller leagues, like, an example, the Swiss League, the Slovakian League, etc., just so they get the money as well. And um, these clubs have, you know, done their pitches for over six months and they're pitching these big seven and... The guy comes out and is absolutely livid, and I've never seen something like it. So, so, so the big seven say, "No, you're not getting more money. It's our money, and we want more of it." And the smaller leagues obviously get, you know, keep getting smaller. And when you see, you know, an example, let's say uh, teams like Sion from 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 Switzerland, um, you know, they've been sanctioned by the FFP because they have gone over the limit what it should have been by two point five million euros. I mean, if you then think about and see, you know, the figures that they're coming out, an example of PSG that they're being you know, funded by by um, by the Qatari, um, you know, touristic authorities, and they have a sponsorship deal that's worth 200 million euros, and um, these journalists have basically gone back and um, you know, gone into these figures. Actually, this contract, what PSG are doing for them, is maybe 2.8 million in worth. So that's why PSG was obviously then, you know, kind of found out by FFP because they were doing some shady deals. I mean, obviously, how can you expect from Qatar to be something shady? But um, then it went back to Gianni Infantino, obviously our biggest hero in terms of, uh, you know, FIFA and whatever is, uh, well, um, that's another story. But, uh, you know, Gianni Infantino then went in and uh, spoke to PSG and they kind of, you know, did a deal where instead of uh, 200 million, they were allowed to give them 100 million. So 
how in proportion is that fair in terms of you know clubs like FCC on like an example all these smaller leagues and people like PSG or you know the big seven can say whatever they want and everyone has to be behind that I just, uh, and obviously FFP is built by these big seven as well as everyone knows uh, by the UEFA and you know you look at it and you think well, why is there no independency? Why is there not an example? So, what you, just to come in at that yeah. point, what you're saying from the sounds of it is this is, although we've seen the headlines in this country about it all being the, the Spiegel coming out with things against Manchester City, yeah. which is clearly why we're talking about it, this is a lot more complex than that and coming out Absolutely. with a lot of other things. Yet the way that it's been reported in this country is that uh, it, it's only City that are either being accused of these things or are involved in these things. Um, but but what you're saying is it's, there's a lot more to it than that. I mean, even today, isn't this? I don't know if it's come from the Spiegel, but certainly there's been a report suggesting that um, there was supposedly going to be some friendly between United and Monaco, which never actually happened. Yeah, that was in there as well. And, yeah. and, and, yet, yeah. and yet the money still filtered through. Yes. Um, so it's a very... Uh, deep web this isn't it and and what what credibility does Der Spiegel have um i think it's very credible because you know the documents that they show the emails they show it looks like everything looks uh you know it looks like it's valid so you know they had many many journalists so there was you know thousands of people you know validating these things and they all said yeah it, it you know it is what it is because um an example by munich they confirmed that the head of legal made that request um to the UEFA or basically you know, they were saying oh yeah if you don't give us more money we will do our own league and that was about three or four years ago and no one back then really believed that story but now because more and more documents are coming out it's uh, yeah I mean you know the web that you have here it's so much more deeper I mean you know there was some things about an example you know the Lionel Messi foundation how he gets paid by Barcelona so an example, you know, let's say when, when we talk about it or the English media said, oh yeah, he's the best paid footballer, he's getting paid um, 50 million euros a year. His foundation was was paid 75 million euros in once and that was only one part of the deal. So there's so much more going on there. and Which leads me to, yeah. to, I mean, I don't expect you to comment on the specifics of this, Dennis, but you're a businessman, you've been a director of a football club and I'm not asking you this to talk about City specifically or to talk about any of the accusations that have been made, but what I suppose... As a, as a layman looking at this from the side, the conclusion I come to is that the whole world of finance and the whole world of, um, you know, the, the things that are involved in FFP, which is all these deals, inter-club deals, etc., surely everybody in that in those organisations are trying to find ways around certain situations. I mean, you know, it's not that long ago that... that, that very well-known people in the public eye, nothing to do with sport, have been accused of trying to avoid tax by 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 doing certain sorts of things with their money. Isn't that all that this FF? Isn't that all that's happening? And that there are certain people out to try and to pin it on certain clubs like City. Well, I think you've got to first and foremost look at they're trying to make regulations to suit the suit the, the whole of the league, so it's it's a level playing field. That's what they're trying to do, but. The structure that we have at the minute at Manchester City with the, the City Football Group, the CFG, um, and we've got uh, three clubs, a main club, which we talk about, CFG, CFG is the holding company, and three trading companies, Manchester City, New York City, and Melbourne City, because obviously you can only own one 
on uh, club and any any FIFA confederation. So what they do, quite honestly, because City Football Group run those three training companies and all the elements of of um, services that are needed are needed across the board of those three clubs. Plus, we've got um, a large shareholder in Girona in the in the European Confederation, a large shareholding in Torquay from Europe in the uh, Concacaf Confederation. And shareholding in, in Yokohama Marinas, which is in the Asia Confederation, so we've got the ability to spread out, use the same centralised service centre like the CFG, but then put it a cost element across all those three trading companies, like six trading companies. So therefore, you you can how can you say well if you if you have a, a bill for recruitment, how how do you how much is your portion to Manchester City? How much is your portion to to uh, Melbourne City, how much you apportioned to New York City? Because in essence, it's all in the same kind of holding company group. So it's always difficult to, to quantify each and every. I think it's just a our structure is a unique one that neither FIFA nor UEFA have come across before. But because now, since football has gone global, these elements and as long as it's it's not illegal to do what they're doing, um, they're just taking advantage of circumstances. Um, what, what's the problem? Well, absolutely. To me, I just read the sensational headlines and feel as if the, 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 there's people trying to get at City. And obviously, there's a lot of City fans who think that as well. That's why they boo the UEFA anthem and why they, they, they don't like what's happening at the moment. And yet, as we've just heard from two people who know what they're talking about, this is very complex and, and, and very intermeshed, as it were. And Colin, obviously, I'm, I'm sure you've got some views on this because you've studied this quite closely, haven't you? Yeah, well, I've been looking at uh, financial fair play since it came about. And um, I think one of the reasons you invited me on is I published an article online about some of the machinations. Uh, it's far too complicated to go into in a, you know, a 20 minute sequence. And uh, if I can just give a plug for the article, um, it's on a website called Bolt from the Blue dot live. I've written a, a long and fairly detailed article about how UEFA effectively moved the goalposts um, in the middle of the FFP assessment process. So we were looking to achieve a, a lot of this, the stuff that's come out in Der Spiegel, is because we were trying to hit a certain financial target. We were never going to pass FFP. Our losses were far too large, but there was a, a get-out clause within the FFP regulations that allowed you to escape punishment if you hit, if, if you met certain circumstances. I'm not going to go into those now. Please read the article on Bolt from the Blue. But um, in the middle of that, when we thought we were on course to hit that target, UEFA moved the goalpost in a way that meant we could never achieve that target, which is why we failed financial fair play. And and the whole issue about financial fair play, what a lot of people see it as, is it's a, become a bit of a cliche, but pulling up the drawbridge. So what Roger was saying before about Bayern Munich wants some, some more money, their income, their income stream is static. They aren't going to be earning that much more money over the next few years. They've got huge commercial deals in place. But from a broadcasting point of view, the Bundesliga um, g gives them the same amount of money as a mid-table Premier League club. Uh, so even worse than that, by the way. <coughs> so, so, at the, uh, um, so Bayern Munich gets um, 45 million euros a year of um, TV money. Yeah. And if you uh, look at the relegated clubs in the championship last season, they got 65 million. Yeah. So. So, 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 you know, the, the Premier League is catching the, the Bundesliga up. And Bayern Munich, who have always been kind of just below United, Real Madrid and Barcelona in the financial leagues, they're, I think, a bit worried about where they where they go. Because the Premier League, uh, we talked about um, Leroy Sane and, and Kevin De Bruyne, 
Bayern Munich, in the, you know, a few years ago, would have snapped those two up oh. you know, from from smaller German clubs because they were the they were the kind of the big fish in that particular pond. Uh, they, they enjoyed that position. Yeah. They, they used that position to the max, didn't they? Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So they've always been hoovering up the top German talent yeah. in the in the lower clubs, and they've been almost. I think they won the Bundesliga six years, six years yeah, running now, six and, in the row, and I think it's like fifteen out of the last nineteen. Now league titles they won yeah. but of course they're getting bypassed in Europe now so occasionally we get to a semi-final more likely a quarter-final and they used to be one of the, the big three teams along with Barca and Real Madrid but they're, they're slipping down slipping down the pecking order a little bit now while City, Juventus, PSG are perhaps moving up that pecking order so you can see it, it, it's all part of a bigger picture really because they want the Super League because that gives them more money um, because their income st stream is static. And you can see it a bit with Manchester United as well. They, they've reached, they've probably maxed out their commercial potential. They've done some fantastic commercial deals, but they're, 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 I don't think that's going to grow that much bigger over the next few years. The match day income is not going to get any bigger, and they're actually in danger of losing out um, Champions League, very much in danger of losing out Champions League money and any European money at all this season. So again, it's about, in a Super League, you can guarantee a huge pot of cash um, just for turning up, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, because they would also play an example in the States. So, you know, yeah. you would play all of a sudden. League, yeah, yeah. So, global, so you, yeah. you would play an example in the, in the New York uh, Yankee Stadium. All of a sudden, you've got 100,000 people there instead of, you know, um, 60,000 you could be making money on. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, the, the, the kind of, you know, football romance, how it was, yeah. you know, some years ago where, you know, you like to pay your club a little bit of money to get into and watch the club. Nowadays, it's a little bit turned around. So the clubs, like they literally have sales managers and, and stuff like that that call you and say, you know, do you want hospitality and stuff, which, you know, in a way, obviously we're changing times, et cetera. But if you like, you really, you know, back in the days, kind of, you know, United supporter from 99, you're not going to like that, are you? So, you know, what you're going to do is you're going to go into FFP and do some stuff that's going to affect these clubs that are emulating them. It's very similar, similar to when I went to New York. New York Cosmos were the, were the major player in America, and they had the big money. We had 47, 48,000 people in a 75,000-seater stadium, and sometimes we had 65 people, 65,000 people watching. And therefore, we were owned by Warner Communications, which is the first uh, conglomerate with the owning of a football club in those years, in 1978. And they spent, because that promoted some of their brand products, they, they bought Pele on a three-year deal, 75 to 70, 77, 75, 76, 77, and then bought them on a 10-year deal based on his, on his image rights, which they could help them promote their products. And what happened then, because they had, we had the, uh, the whole um, profile, the biggest profile in America, a lot of the other clubs tried with some big, big, uh, per, big uh, owners to try and come in, but obviously the market wasn't ready for them. And that's what happened. The, the, the global appeal wasn't there. It was only in, a, in pockets and then by, I went then 77, 78, 79, by 84, the NASL folded because they were trying to chase each other because the, the global, now that's what we could be careful of here because if they all try and say, we're all going after the global market and all of a sudden the global market starts to shrink, what happens then? And that's a danger. You know, you've got to be very careful of what you, the, the, the failures, be careful what you wish for. Um, yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah. I, f I think from a you know, fine point of view, I think I would never, ever support something like this. So I, w I would never, ever go to an ESL game, whatever, because at <clears throat> the end of the day, you support your team. I don't want to support big corporations that make the most of the money. I want to see my team playing and, 
and not go to the yes Alan example well, um, I hope that's given a little bit of an insight, and I do urge you to read Colin's article. Uh, just remind us again, Colin. It's on Bolt from the Blue. That's all one word. Dot live. Right. So go and find it. Read it. I've read it, and it's very, very interesting. And what Colin writes is always very in depth and very knowledgeable. So I urge you to go and read it. We'll carry on the conversation in a moment or two, and we'll go slightly in a different direction, but build on what we've just been talking about. This is the Manchester Football Social, Forever Blue, with Ian Cheeseman. Yeah, that's me, and this is 106.1 FM XS Manchester, and with me are three City fans, I think it's fair to say. The king of old Geordies, Dennis Stewart, Colin and Roger. Roger's from the Alcrington branch, Presswich Blue, Colin Savage is the financial analyst extraordinaire. Um, so uh, when he says something and, and writes something down, it's worth looking at. And obviously Dennis has been a player, he's been a hero, let's face it, and also a director and, and involved in lots of different things at City. So a lot of expertise in the room. I'm just here to chair it all. Now, we were talking about before, um, you know, the FFP and, and the connotations of that. Moving that conversation on, where are we going to? I mean, you're all City fans, as I say. All right, Roger's the youngest one of the three of us, of the four of us, I should say. And some people might look at, at me and, and you, Colin, particularly, and uh, no insult meant, but say, different generation, you know, look at the world in a different way. So do we all think the same? What direction is football? Is our club, Manchester City, going in? And is that dir the direction you want to see it going? Well, it's an interesting thing, actually, if we can just come in on this, because I uh, had these conversations a, a few weeks back, um, the huge difference of opinion between City fans, which, would you rather win the Premier League or what, would you rather win the Champions League? And it, you can see the older fans are saying the Premier League, and it's very big, you know, sweeping generalisation, of course. But the younger one, to the younger ones brought up with the glamour of the Champions League, they would rather win the Champions League than the Premier League. And us older ones were a bit more, perhaps a bit more cynical. We, you know, we like our um, home comforts, if you like. Um, it, it's more satisfying to win the Premier League against our rivals and um, whereas the, the younger generation are more um, focused on the Champions League they say it's more important and it's also the fact that match day attendance uh, now isn't as easy as it once was with television coverage and expense and everything meaning that the whole world of football is now catered towards a television audience rather than the match day attendees. So therefore, the new generation that's come along, who, unlike me, who's from the age of teenager to the present day, has gone home and away, and that has been my, in my DNA, and that's what I do. So I, that is always at the core of everything I think about. But there is a whole generation who have never done that, who will argue that they can't do it even if they wanted to because of money, of opportunity, of work commitments, ticket availability and all that sort of stuff, where the only way that they consume is on TV. So therefore, a European Super League comes along and all the away games are all over Europe. doesn't matter. Not, I wouldn't go anyway. I just watch it on TV. Well, the, the big danger there, the, the comments you made about our uh, match day revenue, our match day revenue is only 14% of our... It's not uh, even that. Well, 11, 12 percent. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to fuck you for one percent, Colin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have any calculate with me. It's about, uh, so a match day fan's not important anymore. Match, I'm saying match day revenue. Mm. What I'm saying is match day revenue. So they've got to look at, um, you know, and, and also a couple of years ago, I did some investigation on a survey on um, the average age of the, 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 the match day person who goes to the games. The average age was 42. Is this city specific or is no, this, this is national? Um, I'm I've, I've sure I read something that city fans generally average age is a little higher. No, it's the average of the whole across the board is 
42, and the lowest age average age was, was Everton's, 38, uh, in the Premier League. So you can see where we're coming from about how we're going to attract the youngsters. They've got they're not going to come back, no, because they've, they've got, got it on well, TV. The whole thing. They've got their own social media, they've got their own televisions. We want to get them in the stadiums. You know, we're talking about increasing our capacity to another 8,000 to 63,000, as in the papers this week. So again, we've got to, still got to fill it, and we've got to fill it for every single game. And traditionally, we can do well in the Premier League, but uh, and the, the domestic cups and the even in the the Champions League, you know, our, our tendencies sometimes have been a bit disappointing. Is the direction football's going in something you approve of, Roger? No, as a younger person, no, absolutely not. I mean, uh, I grew up with football that was mainly negative, I would say, but. Um, uh, that was, you know, the times, the end of 90s, you know, beginning of 2000s where the Italian teams were just the best ones. But you saw back then that in the Serie A, there was always full stadiums. They were always sold out at that time. And then because they were getting too greedy as a league, you, you see the result now. You go and watch, an example, like, like Napoli against AC Milan, which would have been, you know, no matter what, they sold out back then. And now you have maybe 25,000. That's where you have to praise the Bundesliga because they have um, one of the lowest, let's say, you know, prices you can get into stadiums in certain parts of uh, of the stadiums. And um, even though all games are live, you know, even the 3 p.m. kickoffs, they're always live in Germany, but, you know, stadiums are always full. So, an example, I think I saw some statistics where um, the stadiums in Germany were filled out to 99.1% or something like that, which is, you know, ridiculous when you think about how many people there were. And then you see the Serie A, which is around about, you know, 66%, which is, I would even say, a wrong figure. But is this where they're allowed to, to, to um, drop the price, ticket prices because they've got standing room so they can get more people in the stadium? So therefore, in the same size stadium, mm. they get more people because of standing room. Um, I think it's as well, right? yeah. I think it's not even the standing. Uh, I think the it's the standing uh, area. You can get more people in the stadium. Um, well, uh, only to some extent because you know in Germany you have safe standing, so you have like barriers and seats to everyone in the in the standing area. So, an example, if you would put seats down in the yellow wall in Dortmund, you would maybe lose around, I don't know, maybe. 10,000 people. Oh, still 10,000, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, they still always come, uh, you know, that's what you have to give credit to the Bundesliga yeah. because they still make it available to the, you know, kind of, let's say, you know, working people because all, all, all I see every time on social media is, you know, is it still available for working people? You know, do I pay £59 to see City playing Chelsea or do I want to pay um, £8 to see Curzon Ashton play Altrincham? You know, which, which, yeah. You know what? You know what? We've, we've, we've touched on so many things and this hour has gone by like that. <laughs> and I wish we could t talk more, but unfortunately, that's it for the hour. Um, the Wednesday Club's back tomorrow with Joe in the chair. I'm here with Steve Shanyaski. We have the football social five days a week, soon to be six days a week, all downloadable as a podcast, as you've heard, as this will be. Thanks very much for Dennis for coming in and to Colin and Roger. I hope in some way we've enlightened you a little bit and we're giving you food for thought. There's so much more that we could talk about. But thanks very much. Forever Blues back next week. That's it for today's show. Thanks for listening. You can find us on iTunes, Acast, Spotify or however you listen to the podcast. Search Manchester Football Social and click subscribe. And there's a new podcast out every weekday. So come back soon.